Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zwei Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting advice and guidance in your ear. Zweig Group's team of experts have spent more than three decades elevating the industry by helping AEP and environmental consulting firms thrive. And these podcasts deliver invaluable management, industry, client, marketing, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts, elevating the design industry one episode at a time. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn. I'm excited to be with you today. I've got a great episode for you. I have Sarah Colada here with me and she is, I, I have, I before I fully introduce her, I have been on a quest to just find outstanding architects and, and engineers for the Zweig Letter podcast. And I have lately just been a, blown away by the number of people that I've come in contact with on LinkedIn. So please, folks, continue to keep connecting with me on LinkedIn because uh, you never know, we may tell your story here on the Zweig Letter podcast. But Sarah and I have a lot of mutual friends and she's doing some cool things in the architecture space that I really want to talk about today. And she is an online strategist. She's an architect and she is in Europe. She's physically now in Spain as we're talking. But without further ado, I just want to welcome Sarah Colada to the Zweig Letter podcast. How are you doing? Hey, I'm very well. Thank you. Been looking forward to this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's so funny when you, you know, you go on LinkedIn and you look at how many mutual friends people have and connections and, you know, it's like, man, I need to know this person and find out what they're doing. And so I'm glad that what we finally got together to do this episode here in the States. We are just a couple of days away from Thanksgiving as I'm, I'm recording this. So this is kind of a travel week for people in the United States. But uh, but nonetheless, uh, we're glad to have you on the podcast. So Sarah, why don't you, because I know you've heard other episodes, but I would love for you just to kind of share your, your super Shiro, and I changed that there, your super Shiro origin story. And I would love for you just to tell the audience a little bit about who Sarah Collada is. Sure. Oh, well, you know, it's really hard to say where it all started, really, because it's little things that kind of evolve through life that make you realize your what you're really meant to be doing, you know? But I would probably say that the biggest kind of breakthrough for me was when I did my first internship in architecture. And it was like this dream scenario. I went to China, to Shanghai to do it. And I worked for quite a big practice that was collaborating with Richard Rogers. And 
other huge practices and we're doing a lot of master planning and really it was a dream. But uh, I ended up just sitting at the desk for hours and hours drawing tiny detail into plans. And I was like, what's happened to the creative part of architecture? Why can I not understand how the business side of things work? Why can I not meet the client? And what is going on in here? <laughs> and I think that at school, I never really thought about how the real life experience is going to look like. And it was a bit disappointing because... I'm a very active person. I love working with people. I love working through talking and connecting and networking and sitting at that desk for eight hours on end, you know, and just drawing on AutoCAD was like literally the opposite of what I, I mean, it was everything I didn't like about architecture was this AutoCAD thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and at the time as well, I, I think it was this, you know, it's, Every one of us kind of in life has this moment where we start to like really evaluate what matters. And I started to realize more and more that as much as architecture is fascinating and it's creative, it can also contribute to a lot of different things like, you know, like misplacing indigenous people or perhaps, you know, not supporting people in need or whatever because of, you know, of the the sort of purposes that it's facing. And I did unfortunately work on these projects that were like multi-million dollar investments. We didn't really have a plan of what to do with the local people that lived on the lands that we occupied to, or well, bought off or whatever happened there to take over. And so humanitarian architecture started to call me. And at the time, I think what was really scary and it was like a big, yeah, it was it was like a big wall that I sort of faced was that I honestly didn't know that architecture can be applied to many other things than what I learned at school, which was just following the success of these hyper big celebrity architects and what they do. And so when I started to realize that perhaps I want to do something different, I didn't really quite know whether there was an application for me anywhere else. And so that was scary. And I think it was the first time when I sort of started to experiment a little bit more with my pathway in life and say, you know, could I do something different? Is there a place for something like that? And and could I make money from this? I mean, yeah. And shortly after I graduated and moved to Berlin for a little bit and then eventually ended up getting a job in a charity in Guatemala. And I moved there to work on the dream, dream idea of helping people through architecture. And it was great for a few months until I realized how the charity worked and that there were a lot of principles, like sustainability principles, were not followed. And the way people were helped was, again, like sort of they were given bread instead of being taught how to make bread. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. And at that point, I was really frustrated. It was like maybe three years after I graduated and... You know, things haven't been really like working out perfectly. A lot of people, my friends worked for big companies in London because they graduated in London, right? And I was in Guatemala, like stuck, not, not really making much money in that charity. And also, again, not fully working on those sort of type of projects I wanted to work. And I think that frustration just led me to start my own, my own project. And it all started by um, finding a need in the local community. And then we evolved into helping more and more until we started to build like public buildings, a clinic, a library, um, a school, and then a bunch of disaster relief projects as well as housing. So that was like a six-year journey. And in that time, I really got to experience what it meant to run a business in architecture. 
And, you know, I'm like, I have not thought about what I'm really signing up for until I was already in it. Because, because what led me to it was just a bunch of frustration about things that were not really like quite aligning with my values. And then eventually I find myself in a place where I kind of create my reality and I'm serving the communities just the way I wanted to. But unfortunately, here it is, you know, running a business. And yeah, I guess like every startup in architecture, I face the, the big sort of issues that were there, which was how do I manage my money flow properly? You know, architecture projects, they have a very funny way in which money comes in and out. And and, like they're kind of happening processes and cycles. And within some cycles, you make more money and other cycles, you lose money. And I didn't know any of that until (laughs) I found myself in it. But of course, I couldn't do it all by myself. I had a team that was working for me and we had fundraisers and we had an engineer because most of the people were not fully qualified architects. So we needed someone to sign our plans and help us get permits for buildings. So we worked in a bigger team and I kind of managed everyone. And out of a sudden, it was that kind of responsibility of being a leader within that organization and and to think about, you know, people's livelihoods being dependent on me on that monthly check you know, and knowing their families and everything. So I just couldn't face a possibility that I just won't have enough to pay the salary. And, and you know, and that's really where I guess the like grown up game started. And, and it was, it wasn't easy to navigate. And that's, that's kind of where I realized how little I knew about business. I thought I didn't, I didn't think about all the intricacies of, of, of that. And, uh, and I was still quite young, about 29 at the time. And I thought, you know, hey, actually, it's quite, it's probably worth it to study business and marketing. Why not? And today, you know, in the digital world, we have a lot of possibilities to learn online. So that's how I started. But then I also traveled to America and, and learned more there. And throughout seminars and webinars and conferences and all these different uh, events I attended, this idea started to form because what led me there was a huge pain and a struggle, a real struggle and a sort of sense of responsibility and a fear of failure as well. And, and I just thought, you know, is this happening to every single person that starts a business? I mean, I understand that a lot of architects traditionally work for many years before they start a business, but Working for another architect doing architecture projects and being a senior architect in a firm doesn't actually mean you know the business side of things. And so, and a lot of times I know for a fact that it doesn't. So, yeah, so it was like, okay, is this just me or is this happening to more people? And then eventually I started to sort of connect with more and more people, individuals that work in this industry, you know, marketing, business development for architects. And and looking into training and leadership and networking, that's also how I actually came across Zwei Group and, and met Mark Zweig and, and also Chad and a bunch of other people who work for the, for the company. And I really love what these guys are doing. I mean, it's been a really great role model, I think, when I started in this business as well. And eventually I thought, you know, really I thought about an architect who I was working with in Guatemala who at the time um, was really just a master of his craft. He's, he's been doing incredible building, especially in natural building and in bamboo. 
and he 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 his name was completely unknown like didn't even have a website i mean to the point where he, if you if you didn't know who he is to contact him you wouldn't know that this project even exists and i i thought how can this be i mean this guy not only he should be acknowledged but also he could teach so many people around the world how to build a mambo you know and and i just thought could i could i help with what i've learned you know through digital marketing and business development could i help people like that and that's kind of how it all started for me to move into coaching and consulting in architecture wow well that's a great story i i, I really like that and you know it's funny because this what i'm hearing from you is not uncommon right when when people i don't care male or female when you come out of architecture school you're not adequately prepared to handle the rigors of running an architecture firm, right? I mean, you just don't know what you don't know. And none of that really is taught in architecture school, nor is it like we always talk about how in, 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 um, in you know, civil engineering programs or in engineering programs, they don't teach a project management. They don't teach any of that. You just kind of, it's, that's more on the job uh, training. And, um, and that is something that I, you know, I hear over and over again from people that I just had, I had no idea that I, you know, I didn't know this stuff and that I would not be adequately prepared. But that's why I think, you know, personal and professional development in the design industry space is so crucial and important. And I think what you're doing and what you stumbled upon is not just, I mean, it's necessary because people, there's so many great architects out there. There's so many great designers out there, so many great engineers. But there's always a deficiency in terms of what they know versus what they should know in order to operate their business. And, you know, people like you that are filling in the blanks when it comes to that and providing the resources necessary to be successful, obviously are applauded. And I, I certainly appreciate the efforts that you're taking with your background and skill set because you're a practitioner. You've done this. So you know what is needed, or at least you know. You know what you didn't know, and now you're trying to fill in the blanks, right? And that's the key thing. So, absolutely, no, it's it's that's exactly true. And I think I think one of the aspects that kind of comes to in play here is the fact that I'm not a type of person that's driven so much by comfort as much as like a sense of freedom. Like I want to create my own reality and influence it. And in a way, like that might sound really great and dreamy, but it also had its challenges because where everyone went to like work, I was questioning whether what I'm doing really aligned with me and then looking for a new way to like reinvent my reality. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of these experiences were also like chased by a lot of frustration and also the sort of feeling like, am I failing here? Am I doing the right thing? You know what I mean? And really searching for meaning. And I think, thankfully, I did it in my 20s where I also got to travel and things like that. So I look at, back at it as this time of like finding myself, <laughs> partying around the world, <laughs> getting to discover what I really wanted to do. But I think it made me in some sense. And, and I think that transition of from like working within an architecture practice to being a business owner happened through a lot of years for me to the point where now I work with people that do these transitions so I can definitely resonate, but it's been many years for me, many years ago for me to make that sort of transition. 
And there are these two worlds, like being employed in an architecture firm and, you know, following the sort of path of getting another job or becoming a senior architect in the company and getting promoted or starting your own business, you know, which to be honest, at any point in your career that you start, you will be starting from zero because you can't just take a portfolio of your current boss and call it yours when you start your business. So whether you're 10 years into practicing or 50, you're going to start with zero <laughs> unless you start yeah. building your own projects or doing something on the side. So if you feel like doing something entrepreneurial, like this journey just has to, it just has to have that step has to be taken, you know, and it's very tough. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I want to back up a little bit because you know, I, I looked at some of the, the writings and some of the features you've been featured in uh, Madam Architect and a couple of other magazines. And, you know, your story obviously resonates with a wide variety of people. But one of the things that I have become more aware of is the challenge and struggle that women face in architecture, right? Now, and in sure, they absolutely face the same struggles in the engineering space. But we're, we're, since you're an architect, we're going to go down that road. And in over the last year and a half, I've become acutely aware of the deficiencies that exist in terms of women finding the proper role models for them when they're in school in terms of what that transition looks like to them getting out of school and then, you know, starting off in a solid architecture career. And I would love for you to kind of talk about your journey from that perspective. Did you have any architecture sheroes before you, you know, you graduated from uh, architect school? Oh, you know, I think they changed a lot. I remember, I mean, when I was at school, we were very much following this celebrity architecture rhythm, right? We, you know, like my my teachers were in love with Rem Coolhouse. And, you know, so we very much kind of were bred into this mentality that this is what art, this is what architecture is and this is what success looks like. And at school, I met Zaha Hadid. Um, oh, I was about to say, I was about to mention her name, but yeah, that, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Go yeah, ahead <laughs> so it was quite an interesting day because I studied in Central St. Martins and back in the day we had our department in Holborn in London, which is basically just a walking distance from the AA and the Bartlett. And we, we had a lot of friends in these other universities and whenever they were putting up shows or they had some lecture series, you know, or, or like on this particular occasion, we're inviting someone bigger than we would just pack our bags and go around the corner to their school to be a part of that. So it was just great studying there because of so many different influences. And I remember that day when when Zaha came to AA, we just got a text message that she's there. It was obviously unplanned. And I, half of the classroom just left middle through the lecture. <laughs> it was like... Sorry, Prof, but you know, we'll talk to you later that, about that, this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it was a sort of very small camaral event at the AA where it was in one of their small lecture halls downstairs and maybe about, I don't know, 80 people fit in. Obviously, it was absolutely jam-packed. People were standing by the wall. And it was great, actually. she's She really made a quite an impact on me just because... I got to meet her in such a small kind of environment, but also she was, yeah, she was very uh, powerful. And 
very um she had this energy to her you know that you will never forget and and when she looked at you it was almost piercing and uh, yeah so that was that was great but i think in many ways also i haven't really been fully aligned with her particular work so as much as she was a great model to be a woman architect I was looking more for like sustainability projects or things like that, 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 that those sort of things were touching my heart more because then I would feel like they're doing something for the environment or the community of people and always been more inclined towards that. And, you know, there's definitely individuals out there that have influenced me, but I also must say that throughout all my career, I've been, I've been mentored a lot by men and I never really felt weaker or less or disadvantaged in any way by being a woman especially I think that that really came to trial or to test when I started to run my projects in Guatemala and most of the builders all the builders were men in Guatemala that's a very macho culture you know like Mexico Guatemala I mean all that is Latino these men don't like to be told what to do by women it's just by culture and so I think I think it was, uh, that really came to a test, but I would never come to a building site or to work with an idea that I'm, you know, maybe that I'm weaker or less of an authority. And I think that because I didn't think that, it didn't really manifest in my life so strongly. And only at some point, I remember I went back to London and I went for dinner with a good friend of mine from school and she was working for a big practice in London. And she told me some horrible stories, almost touching on sexual harassment. And I thought, you know, yeah, I thought, wow, I can completely understand what it means to be a woman in a practice and in architecture. But somehow, for me particularly, I think I've had, I've been always surrounded by people that were very generous with the way that they coached me and in my process and I never really felt disempowered as such. Yeah. And was that one of the inspirations for you to do Shiro's of architecture? Yeah, it was. I mean, I generally think that we don't get enough voice in our industry. And, you know, when you look into topics of starting your own business and being an entrepreneur in architecture, we face many more challenges and that's not just for business owners. That's actually even for women that work. Why? Because, you know, first of all, we are mothers, right? We grow to be mothers or we are mothers, we become mothers. And it doesn't always get the recognition that I think it deserves. And I think that internally we struggle with that a lot. And so creating a space where we can talk about this as women in the AAC industry is very important and to be listened and heard and to be able to feel understood, but also be given advice so that you don't feel alone. You know, that's a big part. Then topics of, you know, inclusion and diversity. And I think that a lot of women can be more impacted by that within the working environment because architecture is so dominated by men and a lot of times but by white, white male. So where else are you going to address those topics? And so not just for that, but but mainly for the idea of creating a place where we can come together and talk about that and also showcase leaders 
in architecture women that are migrants that work at the AIA and women at leadership positions, like my really dear friend Simone de Gaulle, who is a treasurer, current treasurer for the RIBA, you know, and having women of different backgrounds come in and talk about how they started businesses and how they've been developing their architecture practices, or even, you know, how to manage stress and that sort of stuff. So we try to cover different topics at Shiro's of Architecture. And it's definitely been an incredibly gratifying experience. I felt very connected to the participants and I'm still in touch with a lot of them, some of whom became my clients. So we developed really, really beautiful relationships working together till today. So that's already like 10 months. So I'm very much looking forward to the next Shiro's of Architecture. We're definitely going to host it this year. And yeah, and and hopefully we're going to sort of spread the word globally even more so and get more participants because it's a great community and really interesting um, topics covered as well. Yeah. And again, I, I'm excited that you you were able to do that. I know Zwei Group has done the Elevate Her program here, and there's just been there has been such a movement to the diversity, equity, and inclusion space in the design industry, right? When I got involved with this industry in 97, that wasn't anything that we ever talked about. And, you know, even as an African-American, I didn't, I didn't see anybody else that really looked like me when I would go out and consult with these different firms. And so, but nowadays things have changed and even more so in the United States, I would say in the last 20 months since the beginning of the pandemic, things have just kind of hit a crescendo where all of a sudden you just have a groundswell of emotion and a groundswell of support around some of these topics and themes and ideas like diversity, like equity, like inclusion, and giving people a platform and a voice to share their story with the widest audience possible, right? So in, like, if you think in every vertical, in every industry, people are finding their cadence and their voice, which I think is important. And we're experiencing that right now in the design industry, in the AEC space, there is a movement towards that. And so what you're doing with Shiro's of Architecture, what Zwei Group has done with Elevate Her, and as a matter of fact, they have a brand new Elevate Her cohort coming up for 2022. I think it's really important because it's creating a platform for people to share their mutual experiences with each other. Because, you know, for instance, if I was a female architect, I could see myself learning from you and from your past experiences as I try to grow in my space. But I'm not. So I know that other architects that are females can see you and see somebody that looks like them and say, wow, if Sarah can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And if I can do it, then, you know, Danielle down the down, at uh, you know, that works for a competitor, she can do it as well and so on and so forth. So I think it's really good that you know, we're creating more voices in this space. And here's the great, the important thing to remember, that technology today affords us the ability to get something started in short order and impact the world, not just the area where you live, but you, I mean, your reach is, it goes beyond just the EU. Your reach goes beyond just Guatemala. I mean, you are impacting people in the United States and beyond. And, you know, Zwei Group is trying to do that same thing not just from a consulting standpoint, but from an ideation standpoint when it comes to extending the platform of this, you know, whole Elevate Her concept and, you know, encouraging more firms to embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion 
not just in the United States, but throughout the world, it's going to have a tremendous impact as we continue to grow as as human beings and as individuals that that serve this space, because it's an important space that we're in. You know, the, the built environment is important. Where would we be without architects and engineers, without female architects and male architects? I mean, where would we be? Absolutely. And I think that with, you know, technology and industrialization and so many different business models emerging right now, we are sort of slowly disappearing as well. And that is a problem that needs addressing. That's why I think that we have to innovate, we have to work together, and we have to encourage creativity, innovation, and entrepreneurship within the architecture field. Because if everyone is trying to do the same, and if we are competing with huge businesses like IKEA or you know, building manufacturers and, I don't know, kitchen suppliers, so we're not. It's going to be harder and harder for us to really oppose our value in, in society. And I know for a fact that, you know, the RIBA has been putting investments into educating the general public within the UK about the value of an architect. So I'm very... um and I have actually also a podcast that I run with Simone de Gaulle. It's called Value of an Architect. We love to talk about that because by value alone, you can define so many things. You know, it's like your internal value. It's your value in community. It's your value in your work environment, your value as a leader, as a supporter, as a coworker, you know, and a value of, of different tools and things that you can learn from and the value of your design and your communication and how you sell yourself and everything. And I mean, if you look at it, it's all those things that play part in us being able to survive and help help architecture industry thrive in the respect that we're thriving, right? That we're yeah. doing well. And I'm just mad at the fact I was so I really wish I remembered where it was on which Instagram, but someone did this study where they put up this beautiful graphics on Instagram and their stories, and it was just like kind of a tour around the world showing you how much an architect makes in every country. And it was Wow, I'd love to see that. I mean, it was like shocking. The money that on average an architect would make in like most of the countries were comparable to like a waitressing job. And in some respects, you know, having less responsibility is actually quite attractive. (laughs) So why have so much responsibility for people's lives? For huge projects, for like insurances, I don't know, lawful stuff, whatever. And, be and paying, multiple years of school, multiple years of school. Multiple, so. yeah, exactly. And like being told like, okay, you little girl, little boy, you know, you can't practice architecture until you have all your degrees and all your this and all your that. And it's like, yeah. no, that's not how things work in real life, you know. You can have a bakery without being a baker. You just need to have a good business mind on you. And, right, right. You know, and in some way, if you like rise up to that leadership position, you say, hi, this is my dream. I want to do it. I will be building houses. You will give a job to someone who's maybe going to enjoy working with you more than working for some big practice, right? And sign your plans for you if you're not yet capable of signing your plans because you don't have the uh, the relevant education. So I'm all about sort of breaking the status quo and questioning these things. And I always tell people, you know, question what you believe in and what you've been told. Because I connect with so many people on LinkedIn per day. You know, I have campaigns running through LinkedIn that are just like reaching out to people on automation. And then whoever responds, I talk to. 
Um, it's mad. I love LinkedIn. And, and, you know, I'll be talking to people and they're like, oh, yeah, but starting my own practice is my dream. But like, I can't do it yet because I didn't do my Reba for three PhD, blah, 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 you know, right. accreditation. And I'm like, come on, <laughs> you know, you can be helping people making money doing visualization. You can be for all I know, refurbishing your neighbor's house. I mean, you clearly know how to do that. You can do that. And if you need something signed off, ask for help of someone who can right. do it. Hire them. Yeah. You could partner with somebody and do that. So, I mean, there there are so many, well, I was going to use a, an expression that we use here in the U.S., but since I know you have a cat, that's probably not the best expression, but there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah. And and that that... That is a, an expression that we have. There's there are ultimate paths to get to your end result, to where you want to go. And I think you bring up some really good points here. And that a lot of times, I think collectively as human beings, we allow just small stumbling blocks that look that appear to be large in our path get in the way of us, you know, advancing ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And so you bring up a really good point about examinations and about you know. Because even here in the United States, I can remember when I recruited for Zwei Group, and this is going way back, even in the 90s when I recruited, the first thing out of my mouth was, are you a licensed PE? Are you a registered architect? It was, you know, and that was as if to say, your worth is that credential that you have. If you don't have it, I'm really not as interested. And I'm ashamed to say, and I'm admitting this wholeheartedly. That I didn't, I didn't think as much of individuals that were in the design industry space that had not been credentialed. And I mean, that's just, it's just real talk. Now, now I look at it and I'm like, you know, how stupid was I? Because I've met some amazing designers, both engineers and architects that don't have, that barely finished school and don't have any credential behind their name, i.e. a license but they are still outstanding designers. And I think we have lost a lot of people in this industry that have just gotten burned out because of that and because of the lack of recognition. And, you know, we haven't created a place for these people to thrive and to grow, even if they don't choose to go that route and get that licensure that we esteem so highly in this space. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I also think that, you know, it goes both ways. So obviously you were, your position was to be a recruiter and as a recruiter, you kind of follow a, a standard procedure. However, right. I think that if some, if you met someone determined that would approach you perhaps in a bit of a different scenario and talk to you and allow you to get to know them a little bit and show you a character and be also suitable for the role, you could consider to break your code because sometimes, and I think more often they're not, you know, business and everything that happens around us, it's all about people and about relationships. And if you connect with someone and, you know, especially even more so, if you can quite clearly present yourself as valuable to someone, then that person will, by all means, want want that value. You know, it's, it's just how it works. And so I think that it's very important and, you know, I think globally as human beings, we suffer from this sort of self-saboteur, not good enough syndrome. So it's quite usual thing that we think, yeah. you know, we think we need all these papers and these CVs and these portfolios and all of that to succeed. But I also think if you look at any practice you want to work in and look at what they need, what they struggle with, could you potentially, you know, is this in your expertise? 
that's interesting because I think a lot of times we don't think about that. You know, could I help them by you know with what I know? And if you present yourself differently, if you start talking about their problems and their needs, you might just be seen differently than just another applicant for a role. You know, and I think that's yeah. just showing that sort of deeper understanding of needs that another person might have or a company can show a different side of you that can be very valuable to others as well. So I think it's all, it goes both ways. Yeah, it does. And and like, as you said, as you alluded to earlier, imposter syndrome is real. Yeah. We all, you know, a lot of us struggle with that. Even I, I mean, not, you know, we're not, <laughs> we're not having an imposter sen- syndrome session, but even I sometimes feel like that. And you know, especially when it comes to podcasting, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm not that good. I can't do this. I've done like more than 800 podcast episodes and I still question myself a lot of times. And I'm sure architects and engineers probably feel the same way. It's like, yeah, I'm an amazing designer. I've received accolades. People have, you know, have, have you know, given me pats on the back for the work that I've done yet. And still, I don't feel like I'm as good as I could be or I should be or whatever. And I think imposter syndrome is real and a lot of people struggle with that. I think that's a universal struggle that many of us deal with. And and until we can encounter and understand it for our unique situation and how we overcome it, it's going to be very difficult for you to be the best version of yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think that you've got to give yourself a chance, you know, and, and that's what I keep telling myself, you know, just... It's easy to compare. It's easy to feel like you're not doing great, but you have to give yourself a chance because life is worth living and it's worth giving your best. And I think even if we fail and and maybe look stupid in the process, so what? At least we tried. You know, a lot of people don't don't even do that. So I think it's important. And and of course, I mean, there's there's a lot of other things that come to play. Like, you know, like, uh, like mental health or, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of things, but I think it's just, uh, you know, being, taking control of your life and having dreams and going for it. It's very much about personal journey. And that's what I always say, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like my yeah. business and the way I work with people and the fact that I'm even here is, is really nothing else but an effect of a, of a personal work, personal journey, sort of like almost a spiritual quest that I've been on. and. You know, trust me, a few years ago, I would be absolutely mortified to be a guest on a podcast. Generally would think I've got nothing to say and my interest, my story is not interesting. And, you know, so yeah, so it's like, let's keep working on ourselves and as a result, help other people. And I think business is a great platform for it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's well said. And I, well, I mean, I want to, we could go on and on and I want to, I want to kind of land this plane because we're going to have to probably come back and do a part two at some point in time, but I would love for you, I would love for you just to just succinctly for those listening that might be solo practitioners, what are one or two of the biggest mistakes that you see solo practitioners as architects make in the online space in terms of marketing themselves or just maybe putting themselves out there? Because I know you talk about that and you give people advice in this space, but what would you say are the one or two things that solo practitioners in the architectural space need to be thinking about more or even smaller firms, right? They could be a five or 10 person shop. And, you know, I always say that the design professionals that I've encountered have a hard time highlighting all the great stuff that they do, but I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are. 
Sure. I think that number one thing that I, I think is extremely important to think about is how you craft your message when you talk about yourself. So a lot of times I go through LinkedIn profiles and I'll see people just describing themselves as architects and above that mentioning the practice they work for, which honestly to your clients doesn't really mean much because most of the clients are not like, you know, crazy about Arc Daily or Design Magazine and won't be reading the news of hot news of architecture to know who are the leading firms and, you know, who's great and who's not. So you want to be approachable and you want to be relatable. And I think it's not easy, but it's like probably the the best marketing advice I can give is try to communicate relatably and access approachably. And, and by doing so, you know, I mean, really go onto your LinkedIn and write down in simple words, what, words, what is it that you do and how you can change your client's life. And be, don't be afraid to be vulnerable with this. I think that, you know, and I'm sure that this is also why Randy asked me about my origin stories, because those stories help us connect. If you didn't know about what I went through and where I came from, you'd be just like, oh, who's this chick talking to me? Why, why, you know, why should I listen to her? Right. So, you know, this is the thing, like, think about that time when you go to a party or dinner or you know, or you meet someone at the cinema or whatever. And that first second interaction and how they introduce themselves and what impact they have on you matters for forever. And so are you making that sort of impact with your website, with your message on your LinkedIn, you know, and with whatever I can find about you in the digital space? So that's number one. And number two, it breaks my heart. And I'm not saying it egotistically because I'm a business coach, but it breaks my heart to see how many people think that they can figure everything out on their on their own. And they, they tell me a lot of times, okay, so I will think about it. I figure it all out and then I'll come to you and we can work together. And I'm thinking, once you figure it out, you won't need anyone to help you. Right. Mentors are right. like teachers, you know, at school, like you can't just go and learn mathematics and then find a teacher. It doesn't work that yeah. way. And so, yeah, I think within the architecture field, we're so not used to sort of spending money in the, after we already graduate and whatever, to spend money on our personal development or business development, you know, once we're already professional. That's kind of weird, like buying online courses, getting training online, paying for marketers or business coaches to come in. That's weird. That's not kind of traditionally practiced. But unfortunately, the mistakes and the sort of intricacies of how you could fix your business, they lay within those strategies that you could have with a business coach or business mentor that can help you. Instead, a lot of times I find people say, okay, I'll figure it out. Or, oh, I need to think about it more because I don't really quite know what I want to do. Well, that's what we're here for. We're here to hold you by the hand and bring you clarity. Like we work with so many different tools to help you figure out what you want to do exactly. Instead, you'll be repeating the same pattern that gets you nowhere because you don't know how to ask the right questions in your business. And so those two things, don't be afraid to ask for help and actually hire someone, you know, to bring some value into your business and take you to that that other level and think about how you communicate your value and your message to your audience. Yeah. 
No, I love that. We'll put a pin in it with that. I think that is tremendous advice, and you're absolutely right. Everybody needs a Yoda, and you really need to work on honing your message and making sure that it's as simple as possible. Because I think when people really understand and you can share your message back, I always tell people, you know, when when creating elevator pitches, if it's not a memorable one and if you can't connect the dots for the other person very quickly, you're going to lose them right away. And so I think it's important to use simple language, like you said, and it's important to recognize the value that you bring as a professional, as a design professional, the value that you bring to the table and the problems that you can solve for your client that they can't solve for themselves. Exactly. Yeah. So that's perfect. Well, Sarah, this has been great. I really, really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you still have daylight there in uh, in Spain where you are and that we were able to, yeah, we were able to get together, but I really enjoyed this conversation and I look forward to, I know that there's a, a possibility of you doing some work with Zui Group in the future and just everything that you're doing. You've got a new program coming up that we can't quite talk about just yet, but we'll certainly highlight it the next time that we have you on the podcast. And I want to encourage people to check out Shiro's of Architecture. I will make sure that we put links to everything in the show notes for this episode of the Zweigler podcast. Sarah, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do it? What would be your preferred method of connection? Honestly, I think the easiest thing is to go to saracolata.com and just press on contact me or use the chat widget. It goes directly to my to my phone and you can talk to me directly that way. Yeah. And that's, that's the easiest. And then that's where you find all your, all my projects and podcasts and different things that I'm doing. And also if you subscribe to my mailing list, then you'll be notified about future projects. I'm going big next time guys. So I'm organizing a huge event that is going to be extremely valuable. We're bringing the top 10 architecture firms so I won't give you more, but I already said too much. And yeah, you, no, it's fine. If you subscribe, then you, you'll be notified. You'll be first to know. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to subscribe so I can be the first to know. And I certainly would encourage everybody else to do that and connect with Sarah if you haven't already. She's also on LinkedIn as well. So there are many platforms and ways for you to connect with Sarah and what she's doing in the design space. And, and trust me, you are not alone if you're struggling right now trying to figure out your identity as a design professional. And, you know, somebody like Sarah can definitely help you. There are a lot of books and publications that Zwei Group has put out. So I just want to encourage you. And and also, as we always say on the Zwei Letter podcast, please subscribe to the Zwei Letter because there's so many thought leaders that come together in this weekly newsletter that comes out every Monday, rain or shine, via PDF in your email inbox, and it's free. That's the best part about it. It is free. You can just go right to zweigroup.com and subscribe to the Zweigletter newsletter. It's been running since 92. It is a really great newsletter. I think it's some of the best thought leaders in the design industry space. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, folks, that's another episode of the Zweigletter podcast. To learn more about one of the oldest newsletters in the design industry, like I said before, visit thezweigletter.com or go to zweigroup.com. You can read articles online, listen to this podcast, and sign up for a free subscription to the newsletter and have it delivered right into your email inbox every Monday morning. Sign up today. For more info about Zweigroup's Group's advisory services or any Zweigroup Group publications, 
visit zweiggroup.com. You can subscribe to the Zweig Letter podcast wherever you listen to great podcasts. And please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. We love great ratings and reviews. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we'll see you soon with another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Zweig Letter Podcast. We hope that you can be part of elevating the industry and that you can apply our advice and information to your daily professional life. For a free digital subscription to the Zweig Letter, please visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe to gain more wisdom and inspiration in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today.